the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome. You are listening to Hope and Faith Ministry, a broadcast of the historic People's Baptist Church in Boston, New England's oldest African-American church. Hope and Faith Ministry features the inspirational sermons of my father, Dr. Wesley Roberts, Senior Pastor at People's Baptist Church. We're so glad you're here. Dr. Roberts has a powerful message of hope and love for your life and mine. Now enjoy this broadcast of Hope and Faith Ministry, brought to you from People's Baptist Church of Boston. Good morning to my People's Baptist Church family. And good morning to our friends and guests who have joined us for this live stream worship service. Welcome. We're delighted that you have joined us. And here we are, worshiping the Lord in this historic sanctuary, which was built in 1868. The title of the message today is, We Are Children of God. In the area where my wife and I live in Venom for the past 42 years, a flat-roofed contemporary deck house located on a hillside was on the market for sale for close to a year. Then the for sale sign was replaced with a sold sign. As we drove by each day, at least as I drove by each day, I noticed a number of construction vehicles, a dumpster and workmen of all kinds. Soon the frame for a new slanted roof appeared and shingles were placed on it. Other additions were made and the entire outside of the house was redone. An entirely new house now stands where the old building was. It was fascinating to watch the process of taking an old building and making a completely new one out of it. It occurred to me that that's exactly what God is doing with us as Christians. He's making us over. What we are now is not what we are going to be when God is finished with his work of reconstruction. As Christians living in the second decade of the 21st century, we do experience personal tragedies, the loss of loved ones, illnesses, disappointments, and setbacks in our lives. We are often faced with mountains of problems which seem insurmountable and rivers of difficulty that seem uncrossable. We seem to have more problems than solutions and more dilemmas than answers. But in the midst of all of these happenings, there is one important truth we should never forget. We are children of God. 
John tells us in 1 John chapter 3, 1 through 3, what it means to be a child of God. First, we have a remarkable relationship with God. And verse 1, John says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. What is astonishing, what is surprising, says John, is how much God loves us, that he should call us his children. Whoever heard of such a thing that God, who is absolutely pure and undefiled, should love sinners like us, sinners who are always resisting his attempts to change us? This is rather amazing. We would have given up on ourselves, but God did not. He pursued us, brought us into his family, and called us his children. Speaking of Jesus, John says in John chapter 1, 10 through 13, he came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. Now as God's children, we share his divine life and we share his divine nature. This is a privilege not available to angels, nor to principalities, nor powers, but only to redeemed sinners like us. What a wonderful place his love has given us. What a nobility of position. What a place of honor we have been given. My heart is overwhelmed with wonder and amazement that a sinner like me should be given the privilege of being called a child of God. And as the Apostle Paul says, we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. It's because of God's amazing grace that we, as his children, can come with confidence into his presence day after day where we can obtain mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. It's because of God's amazing love that we can call on him as father and tell him our needs and our concerns in prayer. It's because of God's amazing love that he says, call upon me and I will answer you and I will never leave you nor forsake you. How anyone in their right mind could reject such incredible love is beyond my understanding. But I want us to note carefully that God does not call all human beings his children. The Apostle Paul, writing to the Galatian Christians, says in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 26, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. The only one God ever calls his child is a person who has placed his or her faith in Jesus Christ and received his forgiveness. God is not the father of all mankind, as many people think and would like to think. But he is the creator 
of all mankind. There's a difference. He's not the father of all mankind. He is the creator of all mankind. We all share with every human being a common heritage. We are all members of one race, the human race. This is an important truth, but we are not all his children. We are his children only through faith in Jesus Christ. All human beings can be children of God. Redemption is provided for all of us. And God desires that even his enemies should become his children. Now, we should not expect the world at large to understand this or to recognize or applaud the fact that Christians are the children of God. As new converts, some of us discovered this when, in the enthusiasm of our newfound faith in Christ, we told friends or family members of our decision to accept Christ as our Savior. We expected them to respond with enthusiastic approval, but instead we met with coldness and a watch-and-see attitude. My friends told me they were giving me two weeks to come to my senses and to change my mind. And John explains why this happens in the second half of, of verse 1. He says, the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him, that is Christ. Did you ever stop to think that the world never truly understood Jesus Christ? Jesus came to earth and lived in the human family, performed miracles, taught as no one else ever did, lived an exemplary life, but people never really knew who he was. He never sought wealth or fame or power. As so many people who call themselves Christians are seeking, all he wanted was to do his Father's will. Hence the world disowned him, rejected him, and crucified him. If they had known, or if they had any idea, who it was that was in their midst, if they had even discerned the glory of his character, they would not have nailed him to a cross. If the world did not recognize Christ in spite of his perfect character, then surely we cannot expect the world to recognize us as children of God or treat us with the respect a child of the living God might expect to receive. So don't be surprised if the world rejects our testimony, laughs at us and makes contemptuous remarks about what we believe. They did the same to our Lord, and they will do the same to us. But secondly, as children of God, we have a wonderful hope for the future. Verse 2, dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. John restates our present relationship to God in this verse for emphasis. He says we are not waiting to become children of God. We are the children of God now. 
if we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior. We will never be any closer in terms of our relationship to God now or even after we have been in heaven for a thousand years. That relationship is something which does not change. It is fellowship that changes. Salvation is a present reality for, for us as believers. But there's more to it, says John. He says, what we will be has not yet been made known, but when he appears, we shall be like him. Think of it for a moment. When God gets through with you and me, we are going to be just like Jesus. My, what a transformation. We can look at each other today and find plenty of reasons to criticize. But remember, God is not through with us yet. God is not going to be satisfied with any of us until we are just like his son, Jesus Christ. You will never be satisfied with me, and I will never be completely satisfied with you until we look and act just like Jesus. And only God can do that. John's teaching here is that there are two stages in our salvation. The present and when Jesus appears. The now and the not yet. The here and the hereafter. He says salvation includes more than what we can presently see and experience. Living in a sinful world being tempted, tormented, tried, and tested is part of our present experience in the world. The weight of cares and burdens of tears and sorrows can be overwhelming at times and cause us to cry out, Lord, where are you? Why are you allowing things to happen to me, these things to happen to me if you love me? But the apostle Paul assures us that things are going to be different. In Romans 8, chapter 8, and verse 18, he says, I'm sure that what we are suffering now cannot compare with the glory that will be shown to us. Or the King James Version says that will be revealed in us. Brothers and sisters, we need to remind ourselves often that there is more to the Christian life than our present experience. There is still when Christ appears. The key for us is not to lose sight of the future component of our faith. That is the problem with many of us today. All we see is the present with its struggles, disappointments, pain, and sorrow. But it is absolutely, fundamentally, and vitally necessary not to be focused just on the present. For to do so is to lose the hope of what we will experience when Jesus appears. Listen to the Apostle Paul writing to the Philippian Christians in Philippians chapter 3, 20 and 21. Paul says, but we are citizens of heaven and are eagerly waiting for our Savior to come from there. Our Lord Jesus Christ has power over everything, and he will make these poor bodies of ours like his own glorious body. So let me put it this way. 
Here I am a Christian. My soul has been delivered from the penalty of death. Christ died for my sins. I have been delivered from sin's power. I have been set free. I have been adopted into the family of God. Now I am a child of God. But as I look at myself, I see that sin is still a reality in my life. I want to live according to the word of God, and yet my sinful nature tries to pull me away from Jesus Christ day after day. My soul has been saved, but my body waits in hope of Christ's appearing. So when he appears, we shall be like him. He will make these poor bodies of ours like his own glorious body. But thirdly, as children of God, we have a great incentive to be like Christ, to be pure like Christ. Verse 3, all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure just as he is pure. The prospect of seeing Jesus face to face and becoming like him provides us with an incentive for holy living. How does one purify oneself? By using the means provided for our purification. You mothers know how this works. Your little boy or little girl has been playing in the dirt. He comes in and you send him to the bathroom to clean up himself. Like most boys, he turns and the water runs his hands through it, turns off the water, wipes his hands on the towel and comes out. His mother looks him over and says, but you're not clean. Well, he says, I wash myself. His mom said, but look at the dirt in your hands and on your arms and on your face and behind your ears. You are not clean at all. Then every wise mother asks, did you use soap? <laughs> of course he didn't. So she sends him back to use the soap. So what is soap? Soap is a cleansing agent. It will do the job if it is used. So when he comes back, the second time he has washed with soap and the soap has cleansed him. Now he says, look, mom, I've cleansed myself. He did it by using the means provided. The provision for our cleansing, for making us pure, is the word of God. The psalmist says in Psalm 119, 9 and 11, how can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And John says in 1 John chapter 1, 8 and 9, If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. This means that we must begin to take seriously the sins in our lives that break fellowship with God. Gossip, slander, 
backbiting, lying, that critical spirit, that ugly word, that lustful thought, we must repent and ask God to cleanse us from all our sins. The hope of Christ's appearing should be a strong incentive for us to live holy and righteous lives as God's Spirit enables us. When Christ appears, we who have faithfully served served him and, and have sought to please him, we who have persevered in spite of all that was going on and the temptations that tried to, to discourage us, we who have faithfully represented him to our family, friends, and neighbors, we who have kept our eyes on Jesus when it was not fashionable to do so, we shall be like him. Yes, we shall. Be encouraged then, my fellow believer. The struggle with sin will not last forever. The suffering that makes it difficult for us to hold on to our faith will one day be removed forever. Every tear will be gone, wiped away from our eyes by the hand of God. There has never been anything that has ever inspired more discouraged hearts than the Lord's promise that he would soon return for his own. There's never been anything that has ever dried more tears of sorrow and heartache than knowing that our blessed Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is coming back again for us. There's never been anything that has ever brought healing to more hearts and brought ease to more pain than believing this precious truth of God's word. There's never been anything that has ever helped Christians face extreme difficulties with optimism and hope, like realizing that Jesus Christ would soon come to take us home. And there has never been anything that has ever encouraged more people to prepare for eternity by repenting of their sins than has the glorious hope of the ages. Our Lord has never disappointed any of us us, his children, in the past, and he never will in the future. He will return, as he promised. More than 2,000 years ago, Christ came as a baby. But when he returns, he'll return as King of kings and Lord of lords. Then he was wrapped in swaddling clothes, but when he returns, he will be robed in royalty. Then he was judged and misjudged, but when he returns, he'll be the judge of all the earth, the entire universe. Then he was meek and lowly, but when he returns, he'll be high and lifted up. Then he was crowned with thorns, but when he returns, he'll be crowned with glory. Then he was despised and rejected of men, but when he returns, he'll be the fairest of ten thousand. This has been the inspiring hope of the church for 2,000 plus years. What radiant glory awaits us in heaven. Heaven will be a place where there is life without any death, peace without any strife, love without any limits, safety without any fear, 
comfort without any pain, joy without any sorrow, health without any disease, perfection without any flaw, beauty without any blemish, and excitement without any end. At his first coming, Jesus was right on schedule, and so will he be at his second coming. So when time is fulfilled, whether we are ready or not, he will come again. When the hour is come, whether we are believers or skeptic, he will come again. When the last trumpet of God sounds, whether we are worshiping or sinning, he will come again. When the dispensation of grace is completed, whether we want him to or not, he will return. When the final page of this present age is recorded, when we are, whether we are dead or alive, he will return. When the fullness of time has come, and when time shall be no more for the saints of God, he will return. And when Jesus appears, we who are his children will be like him, glorified forevermore. So watch for his coming, for we are children of the living God, destined to spend eternity with him. And as the hymn writer says, oh, I want to see him. Look upon his face, there to sing forever of his saving grace. On the streets of glory, let me lift my voice. Cares all past, home at last, ever to rejoice. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us here at Hope and Faith Ministry, a broadcast of the historic People's Baptist Church in Boston. We pray that you have been touched and inspired by today's message. People's Baptist Church is a Christ-centered, caring church located at 134 Camden Street at the corner of Camden and Tremont Streets. Our Sunday services are at 10 a.m., you can reach us at 617-427-0424. Come visit us in person or on the web at www.pbcboston.org. And tune in every Saturday morning at 1030 for another inspiring message of hope and faith.